Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Listen for what God is saying. After this, I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes, and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. They worship him day and night in his temple, and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them, because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May God add a blessing to the understanding and living out of this scripture. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily McKinley, and I have the great joy of serving as the pastor here at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park Woodlawn, and in ministry alongside many of the folks that you saw up front here and others that you don't often see as much, uh, but who help us be who we are and do what we do every week. Um, and uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't be here um, functioning as well as we, as we do um, without them as well. And so um, I bring my, I bring my, my co-ministers with me um, as, as we celebrate this morning. Um, but first, why don't we begin with a word of prayer? God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for five years of learning what it means to live with authenticity in our faith and our identity without shame and with joy, of what it means to grow in courage and boldness, not only in um, understanding and articulating who we are, but understanding and articulating who you are in this world and how you are at work. And so as we gather in this space to hear um, what you have to say to us through your scripture, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds um, to be expectant and to show up in surprising and, and wonderful and joyful and challenging ways as you always have throughout the course of our time here as a community, but even before that. And so come Holy Spirit, be with us, move within us, and surprise us with your joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a few weeks ago, uh, I found myself sandwiched uh, between some big men in big suits who were pastors of a big church on the south side, 
And as we started to chat, as they asked me about my ministry, uh, I could see the wheels beginning to turn behind their eyes. Oh, I said, I'm the pastor of Urban Village Church, Hyde Park Woodlawn. We're at 60th and Dorchester. And I could see their eyes narrow. Where? And I explained that we gather here at Chicago Theological Seminary. So who comes to your church? <laughs> and I explained that our commitment is to be a place that identifies as both evangelical and inclusive, and that a central component of our vision is that we center the spiritual needs and experiences of LGBTQ people of color, people of color allies, white LGBTQ people, and white allies. Pause. <laughs> huh, so, so it's people from the university. <laughs> well, not exactly. Some people come from the university, but mostly it's folks from the south side. Hyde Park, Woodlawn, South Shore, Chatham, Pill Hill, South Suburbs, West Side, Northwest Indiana. More questions. Yes, I pastor the congregation. Yes, I planted it. Yes, we're doing pretty well. And yes, we have been well received by the community. Always neutral, never unkind. They asked their questions. Questions that gently looked for a hole. Questions that, that would maybe indicate that uh, confirmed our weak faith. That we would be a, a passing fad or a feeble presence. But I stood my ground. I stood our ground. And I told the truth about who we are. We get many people who might initially not have chosen to come to our church, but because they have not been fully welcomed or they knew their friends would not be welcomed, they've found a home in our community. And throughout my time among them, I was struck by how long it has been, how long it has been since I've been in a space where the legitimacy of my personhood as an identified church leader, as, as an ordained minister, where the legitimacy of this church this community as a place that nurtures the sincere faith journeys of people who are trying to follow Jesus as best they can, where all of this was set in question. And at first, I have to say, aren't I lucky? And I mean it. I mean, it is a privilege to have to encounter experiences like this only a few times a year, compared to some of my female colleagues completely entrenched in misogynistic church cultures. Aren't I lucky as a cisgendered, hetero, married, parenting woman who doesn't have to be told I'm using the wrong bathroom every day, who, uh, went, who doesn't, at, get, doesn't get asked, when am I going to get married or when am I going to have kids, who, who doesn't have to wonder if I can hold my spouse's hand in public? Aren't I lucky? And so while I would most certainly rather not be in those spaces or ever made to feel uncomfortable in my own skin, it was a necessary reminder of how important it is that we exist as a church. That existence, as the saying goes, is a kind of resistance. In many ways, this is what our passage today points to. Here we see a multitude of the saints gathered, swaying and waving palm branches and singing about God's greatness. And it would be easy to picture a kind of classically heavenly scene from The Simpsons, right? Complete with clouds and a few harps and cherubim before moving on. But it's important to pay attention to what's going on here. Now, if you'll remember from our sermon series this past fall, which I know you all do, have memorized in your heart and your mind, there's this guy named John who is writing um, during his indefinite incarceration on the island of Patmos. And here, as I'm sure you all remember, he is right in the middle of the apocalypse. The first six seals out of seven have been opened, and basically it's been a massacre, both spiritually and physically. Christians are dying left and right. Angels are battling demons. The moon has turned to blood. I mean, really, right? 
folk have been fighting the good fight, and they could just like really use a good dance party right now to blow off some steam. So think of this passage as like the eye of the spiritual warfare storm. It's also a reminder to all those folks who are fighting the good fight here in this world, trying to live with dignity and faith in a decidedly undignified and faithless world, a reminder to those saints who are in the thick of it that they're not alone, that they're buffered, bound, and bordered by God's power and love, that they are following in the courage, sacrifice, and power of Jesus, and that they need it. Because even though the the translation we read Uh, that we read this morning says, these are the people who have come out of great hardship. A better interpretation probably would be that these are the people who have come through, who are coming through, who are about to come through great hardship. In other words, they are in it, right? Which is why there's all this washed in the blood of the lamb talk, which can be a little freaky for some folks, but which really is another way to say that these folks have skin in the game. They have proven their faithfulness, and they are claiming their place, their dignity, their purpose, and their legitimacy at God's table. And they're not going to give it up, not for the Jewish authorities or for the Roman government. Because just like in Jesus' time, so they are in their time, and so we are in our time, actually, fighting a dual fight. They are fighting the Jewish tradition that said only to those whom God has made a covenant with through Moses can have access to God's promises. Only those people who have prayed the sinner's prayer, only those people who pray in this very specific way, only those Proverbs 31 women, right? Only those folks are welcome and have access to God's promises. Their status will always be under question by big men in big suits in big churches. But these saints aren't only fighting for their place in the family of faith. They're also fighting for their place in the world. They've been cut out of economic trade and denied social acceptance because they don't participate in the Roman Empire cult. They they can't work where they want to work. They can't live where they want to live or be who they simply are without facing severe financial, relational, and social penalties. They're squeezed on all sides. This multitude of saints in Revelation 7 is a crazy quilt of people. Scripture kind of kind of uh, gets, kind of indicates that a little bit. Some of them ask too many questions. Others are undocumented. These ones are too poor. Those ones are rich, but they're new money. He's not educated enough. She's too educated, and they don't conform to gender norms. These folks not only defy religious and political order of the day, they threaten it by their very personhood. These people aren't supposed to know each other, much less worship together, and they have now united across all the things that would pit them against one another. The passage says they come from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And in their marginalization, or in their solidarity with the marginalized, by their commitment to Christ, they have broken the social boundaries that were set up to keep them divided, keep them low, and keep them powerless. What is this mysterious force that has pulled them together? What could have so much power. Love. In spite of their diversity, in spite of the histories and narratives that have set them against one another, a powerful love has drawn them together. A love that says, you belong. A love that says, you are welcome. A love that says, you are invited. I will restore you. 
A love that fights for you and dies for you and lives again for you. A love that sets you free. Today, we celebrate five years of a community founded on and bounded by that same love. Today, we celebrate five years of UVC Hyde Park Woodlawn. Some of you know the story. We are, as I often say at our membership conversations, we're a church that shouldn't exist. In the beginning, we had a handful of folks who were kind of interested to see uh, what might uh, become of us, uh, Mike and Carolyn, um, Rich, Rico, D'Angelo and Lena. We've got some other legacy UVCers around here too, I know. And I've been told by church planning leaders uh, way early on to determine how many people, how many people was I aiming to show up for that first Sunday? Some of you have heard this story. And so I picked a number out of the air, 120. Sure, that sounds good. Who were these people? Well, I have no idea exactly. But I tucked it away in the back of my head way back in September of 2012. And as I was envisioning what this community might look like, I thought about how lonely it can be to find a community where you can share and experience God's love, and how rare it is to find a space where you didn't have to put yourself into a box to make it happen. I imagined about how liberating it might be to enter the doors of a Christian community where you weren't expected to conform and perform your faith in a singular way in order for it to be legitimate. I pictured how wonderful it might be to find a space where the politics of who you loved, what you looked like, and whether you believed exactly the way I believed were not conditional to whether or not God loved you. I wondered whether it might be possible to defy the observation that the choice of the church always seems to be either ignorance on fire or intelligence on ice. I wondered... And I pictured, and I imagined, and I thought, and I prayed about this community. I worked as hard as I could alongside many others to see if God would make something of these efforts. And we met for a weekly small group at Robust Coffee Lounge to middling success. I had countless conversations with anyone who would talk with me. I showed up at festivals, inviting people to make art and have conversation. I was all in. And then about three weeks before our launch date, my co-pastoring partner resigned. Church planting, he said, just wasn't for him. I was confused and hurt and tried to make sense of it all, but what kind of sense was there really to make other than what is so often true, that sometimes people hurt other people because they lose their sense of self or they lacked courage or they didn't know how to say no and didn't come to their senses until far, they were in far too deep. The only way the Band-Aid was going to come off was through an unsentimental rip, and it would probably take a few hairs along with it. And so I prayed, and I did the ugly cry, and I sought counsel and sympathetic ears. And when it was all said and done, I remembered that I didn't get into this Christianity thing because I thought I could be a raging success for everyone to admire, although I wouldn't say no to that. <laughs> I got into it because I had been transformed and loved. And I wanted other people to be transformed and loved. And so I put on my big skinny girl jeans. And <laughs> on March 17th of 2013, we gathered in this very space facing that direction. And two things happened that made me know that God was with us. First, no one died. OK, that's three things, actually. First, no one died. And second, after the service, a young woman came up to me, and she introduced herself. Her name was Stephanie Daring, and she was the niece of Brenda Wyma. 
1996, Brenda Wyma sat me down, invited me to follow Jesus, and discipled me at South Hill Christian Church in Puyallup, Washington. Stephanie had heard about the launch of our church from her aunt, Brenda. Stephanie was a student at the University of Chicago at the time. She heard about our church from her aunt, Brenda, who was so deeply wanted Stephanie to find a place where she could know God's love regardless of the fact that she was gay because she came from such um, a very conservative, fundamentalist background. Stephanie came up and introduced herself to me, and I was flabbergasted and astonished. But it's a tie with the third thing. Later that evening, I asked Rich, who was in charge of taking count, I asked him, how many people came? Tell me, how many people came? 120 people. <laughs> 120 people came, and I never told him that number. No one died, Brenda Wyma's niece showed up, and 120 people came. Ask me how I know we're supposed to be here, okay? But that was just the beginning, right? We are just getting started. Now, we've been in this sermon series about the practice of prayer. We've been talking about acknowledging God and remembering God and asking of God and casting God's vision. And now today we have come to the end. Today we say amen. Amen. Amen is an affirmation. It means may it be so, and it is true. And as, you leave, as we leave this sermon series, I created a little kind of guide for you because I know that you all, um, in spite of your diligent note-taking, might have forgot a few things. So, so I created a little, a little guide for you to take home as you think about how might I craft a prayer. This is a way to pray, right? Not the only way, but it's a way that you can maybe take with you and try out for a few weeks. And I included a couple of examples on the back if you're, if you're sort of still feeling puzzled. Try it out over the next few weeks and see how it changes your approach to prayer or your experience of God. Amen. Today, as we celebrate our fifth birthday at High Park Woodlawn, we are saying amen to what God has done. Amen to what God is doing and amen to what God will do within us, among us, and through us as a community that is bound by love in spite of all of our differences. Today we say amen to five years of trusting and believing that we are here on purpose and for a purpose. Over the last five years, we have worked with local, local organizers to bring a trauma center to the south side. Amen. Over the last five years, we have registered voters throughout this area. Amen. Amen. We have prayed on street corners where children have been shot and killed. Amen. Amen. We have demonstrated and shared healthy food recipes at the 61st Street Farmer's Market. Amen. Amen. We have encouraged kids in character development through our Tiger Village program at Dulles Elementary School. Amen. Amen. We have drawn our neighbors together to reflect on positive and life-giving themes through open mic nights. Amen. Amen. Created the kind of space where nearly every person who walks through these doors for the first time remarks on how welcome they feel. Amen. Amen. Small groups and intentional relationships and text prayer chains and conversations after worship that last until the lights are out. Amen. Amen. We have become a village where children know God's love and friendship through grown-ups who love them and play with them and sing with them, where family is family, regardless of the configuration. Amen. Amen. Here at Urban Village Church, we have been a place where folks could heal from cycles of spiritual abuse cloaked and, and, uh, and disguised as Jesus' love, who have come to their selves and their faith with honesty, 
with courage, with boldness and intelligence. Amen. amen. Five years of amening God's vision for us. Five years of claiming our space at God's table, of sharing God's love with one another and throughout this neighborhood. Five years of receipts that say we are here on purpose, for a purpose, and can't no one block God's shine on us. This, this multitude in Revelation 7 here, this is what they remind, of us, remind us of. No one, not no one can block God's shine. Not then, not now, not ever. The multitude reminds us that the saints with skin in the game have always come through, are always coming through, and will forever make it through whatever the trials, questions, doubts, or tests of faith that come their way. We have skin in the game. Five years and counting. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.